One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 99 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And we have Jaime Lopez over there in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And also on the left coast, we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Oh. Great. Yeah, you know, last week's show was really good, actually. It kind of made me wonder what the hell you need us for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder that all the editing time. and the mixing and the promotions <laughs> and... Well, that, that's you, but, you know, okay, what they need me for. <laughs> what Color do they need commentary. me for? Good Color Lord. commentary. No, it was, it was a lot of entertainment. That was great. And uh, if it got technical, good. I mean, it was great. I, I enjoyed it all. Except for the last 21 minutes, which I haven't heard yet. But, right. Well, yeah. we're waiting with bated breath for you to listen to that. Yeah, I, I will. Okay. Um, so we do have some follow-up from last week's show and in the form of our friend of the show, Aaron Deckheiser, tweeted... Evan. Uh, or yeah, com- contacted Greg and myself about, uh, Greg specifically, about the iOS 10 um, unlock, uh, you know, raise to unlock with Touch ID devices. And he did say that you need to, do need to touch the home button to uh, for Touch ID to unlock the phone, to raise the phone, press the button, and magic unlock. I, I It's funny, I, I was thinking, I was as they were talking about it last week, I thought maybe the watch might be involved in that because that's kind of the sort of experience that I've had with Mac ID and um, the other apps that I've tried is that usually the watch is involved as a way of identifying yourself as well, right? Because I think yeah. it stores the password or whatever. But yeah. I also found two, uh, and I put it in the in the notes here um, from the iDownload blog, that uh, an article that says that uh, Apple's going to um, make the minimum requirement the M9 processor, motion processor, Coprocessor, I guess, um, which limits it to the iPhone 6S, 6S Plus, and the new SE. So, have you guys seen that? I did earlier this evening, and uh, I'm sorely oh, disappointed. I was really hoping for that feature on my iPhone 6. Alas, that yeah. would explain why it's not working. 
but it's too bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is what it is, right? And uh, it's, it just seems so mm. funny about how uh, this feature, you know, the, the the whole changes to the unlock process on the phone are because of the 6S and and later phones, which is to say the SE only. But it's it's not for phones in the past. They don't give a crap about you. And if you, I don't know. Okay, so who who among you have installed iOS 10 on your iPhone? Not on a phone. Not me. I have not. I have not. Holy cow. Okay, so uh, I will be the first to tell you that... Um, um, okay, let me ask a second question. Uh, on an iPhone 6 or lower, is that what your phone is? Like yeah, n- none, think- of, none of us have a 6S, right? Right, that's correct. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry to report that as of beta 2 anyway, uh, unlocking your phone on an iPhone 6 or lower is sure. kind of more of a pain in the butt right now. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the, the, the thing that Apple did is they, they set up this raise to unlock thing because the touch ID sensor was too quick on the 6S. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, it's got the touch ID two sensor. Yeah. And so yeah. there have been a lot of complaints that when people you know, unlock their phone, uh, they put their thumb on the home button and before they can see anything on the lock screen, it's already gone and into the springboard. Uh, right. Right. Have you heard about that complaint? Yes, I have heard that. Yeah. Okay. So that's not a problem on the 6 and earlier, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 5S, I guess, because that was the first one with a touch ID sensor. But for those people, um, unlocking a phone's not a problem. But so to address the faster touch ID sensor, which will, of course, very likely be on all future phones, um, Apple is saying, we're going to give you a way to look at the lock screen without having to touch that phone and hence raise to unlock. Um, but there's now no longer like the swipe to unlock as well. And so when you raise your phone, and I'm just doing it again and again here, um, <laughs> when you when you turn on the phone, you've got to push the home button, but then you get this little message that says, press home to open. So you've actually got to kind of take two actions in a lot right. of cases yep. um, to get into your phone, whereas before iOS 10 and iOS 9, you could both power on the phone to look at the home screen and unlock in one action. Yeah, Greg did mention that last last week on the show because I think he has he's installed ten on his uh, his phone, and he was saying that he, since he doesn't have a Touch ID device, it's kind of he kind of wants to swipe, and and I've done that on the iPad myself. Is that when you, you kind of you get in the habit of swiping, and that um, that brings you over to the to the ta- or the notifications, right? Uh, or today right. is it today extensions? Or okay, today? so if you if you swipe to the right, you get the yeah. uh, extensions view, if mm-hmm. you want to call it that, mm-hmm. which is totally customizable and very interesting it's got all kinds of widgets if you swipe to the left you get your camera oh yes right yeah okay that's what greg was talking about last week and that's he was talking about that for his ipad right oh was he okay yeah because i can and i can tell you that even even on a touch id device it's it's for those of us who have been using devices for a while it's going to be a learning curve no matter what we do because even even with i have a touch id obviously my ipad pro and and i'm challenged to get it to unlock myself right so yes so Um, so you can get to the camera without any type of touch id or any type of password or anything is that true is that what you're saying that that is true and that has always been true well not always always but yeah like in ios 9 that's true um, it's just a different action. So in iOS nine, yeah, you uh, in you'll iOS see a little, yep. yeah, you see that camera icon in the bottom right corner of the, the lock screen, and you swipe up with that. Whereas now in uh, iOS ten, you swipe to the left, and it's actually it's a much easier action. Yeah, almost way too easy. 
It may be, maybe. And the the worst thing, like, um, if you swipe to the right to get the widget view, um, you can swipe back to the left to get to the lock screen again. But if you swipe left to get to the camera and then go into the camera, you cannot swipe back again to return to the lock screen. You have to hit the home button. Dun, dun, dun. True story. So (laughs) that's, that's the thing about, about iOS 10's unlock is that for phones prior to the 6S with this M9 raised awake feature, uh, it's kind of a pain. Um, it, it makes it a less smooth experience. So good question though, with furrowed brow, I I asked this question. Um, is this going to exclude the iPad pros? Do they have the M9? I don't think so. I think raised to wake is only for phones. Oh, right, right. Okay, that makes sense. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, and I've got an iPad Mini 4. Well, that makes sense because you're going to have a smart cover, right, in most cases. Yeah, okay. in a if lot you're... of cases you tend to, yes. And that might be it. And, or, or, you know, you don't you don't pull an iPad out of your pocket and lift it up. But, Raise it to your face, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, having said that, I can imagine cases where that would be useful. But yeah. uh, I can tell you it doesn't work. <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, and there's no setting in general or anything like that that would suggest where it is. So, hmm. terrible, terrible. But it's not bad. Let's not complain. Let's not be churlish about a beta. <laughs> so, um, they'll fix yeah. it before they release it. I'm sure. The point here is Apple is pretty, pretty, you know, readily saying, "Go buy yourself a new phone." Damn it! At only three ninety nine US, you can get yourself an iPhone SE, which exactly. I am considering for uh, my secondary phone. Really? Second, your day phone. My night phone. No, uh, night my phone. my uh, sacrifice it to the heavens phone and put, you know, iOS 10 and 11 and however long it, you know, is supported. Right. So I was reading today, too, speaking of your 16 gigabyte favorite device there, Jaime, um, that the iPhone 7 is rumored to have, to have the lowest base model will be 64 gigabytes, which will push the price up. And then, of course, we've got the other rumor about the headphone jack being the lightning port. Yeah, it's got me pretty nervous about my uh, 16 gigabyte, you know, Apple Car uh, prediction. Yeah. Which we still got a ways to go on that one, but yeah, uh, yeah I mean, gold. 64 or 32 as a baseline, e- either one, I think is like it's kind of about time. Hopefully that happens. Hopefully without a, a you know a price increase for that base model, I, I just see it being real troublesome to to move and budge in that base model. I have a hard time imagining that. You know, they've increased the the base model's uh, capacity in the past, right? Remember, the very first one was four gigs. Was it four? Yeah, or eight? four. Yeah, oh, there was phone. there was definitely a four gig version, right? Um, then an eight, and then a sixteen, right? And they right. stuck with sixteen for a long time, but that base price never changed. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, so I mean, I don't. I haven't had a, a phone upgrade in in a couple of years, so I'll definitely be buying a seven when they come out. Yeah, that's my plan, too. Yeah, me too. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little uh, disappointed in all these rumors suggesting that it's going to be uh, TikTok talk or something like that in terms of um, staying the same in terms of four-factor. Like, nothing is going to change that way until next year. Oh, really? But, yeah, that's that's the rumor, anyway, that we're going to have the same body as the 6 and 6S. Hmm. Yeah, so... Well, the thinking on that is that is that next year is the... Tenth uh, anniversary, yeah, right. So there, so the rumor is that the, the plan is for the tenth anniversary to have a, the revolutionary changes be for that model, as opposed mm-hmm. to this model. So it wouldn't be a seven S. They would skip the seven S and go directly to an eight, or whatever they call it. Ten, um, ten, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Tam would be the Tam iPhone, iPhone X. Pro. 
<laughs> TAI, um, the 10th anniversary iPhone. Right. The guy will come to your home and install it for you. Be designed with a speaker system by Bose. That's true. And a, a CD player right on the back of the case. And a really cheesy LCD screen. Yeah. That, that sounds pretty awesome. I, I, would, I would totally get one of those. And it'd be $10,000, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And they'll yeah. sell three of them. Yep. But there are there are contrary rumors saying that that that's not the case about this year's phone being being pretty much exactly the same. Uh, we talked about one. I, I don't know whether it was last week or the week before, but there's one rumor about the Touch ID being part of the display now. Like that's people true, have been talking yeah. about for a long time. So who knows? You know, I think we we won't know until until we know. That has been a remarkable amount of speculation and very little evidence uh, in the supply chain, which we normally do start to see around this time. Mm-hmm. That yeah. uh, I, I know Apple may be doing a better job of keeping things quiet, but yeah. uh, so we'll see how how these rumors go. There have been some nice work on on some Android devices. I get to see a lot of them now where I work, and and you know where they have like the whole the whole front is the whole surface is one piece of glass with a little cutout for the for the home button. And then you know, even with the with the, the curved edges, to so you have the LCD that wraps around kind of thing. So yeah, they look pretty slick, even though they, they were on Android. Yeah, yeah, it's a small problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> minor, minor detail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a good bit of time for uh, some fu on uh, hashtag AskMTJC on Twitter. Uh, oh, this cool. actually went to both us and uh, the upgrade folks on the Relay Network uh, from Warnings Code Guru, which is asking about you know what about airlining. Um, Bluetooth not allowed. If the three and a half millimeter jack um, is replaced with an adapter, then thumbs up. If Bluetooth only, then um, the hear no evil monkey. There's a lot, a lot of emoji yeah. in this one. Uh, so this is in reference to the three millimeter or 3.5 millimeter jack, uh, headphone jack being replaced by lightning. And uh, I don't know, like for me, I actually do use Bluetooth uh, headsets on uh, on aircraft. I don't know if i'm strictly supposed to because i think airplane mode turns off bluetooth and then you have to turn it back on right um but once we get to cruising altitude it seems like it's probably not a huge problem i'm not a lawyer i'm not an faa i have a friend who is a pilot who tells me that the whole wireless interference on planes is 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 hokum it is oh it's true it's a it's an fcc regulation as opposed to a faa regulation it's got nothing to do with flying it's to do with the fact that as i understand it that the the planes are 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 flying over cells very quickly, so if you had a lot of people on cellular connections, they would be hopping cells all the time, constantly, and that would just cause the traffic on the cells to to just go crazy, and hmm. and that's why it's not allowed. That's that's what I've heard. I thought even though cruising altitude was so high that it was out of range of those towers. Well, then it shouldn't matter, right? Whether you have it on Indeed, or not. it shouldn't matter, yeah. Right. I wouldn't have thought. Like I've I've put, you know, turned airplane mode off while on a plane flying yeah. and yep. and gotten yeah. no signal. No alarms go off. No one's No alarms yeah, go off, no that's one, for sure. No no air marshal show up with, with uh pointing yeah. pointed guns at you. Yeah. So, so I have a question though about flying in the states because here in Canada we can we can put our, our earbuds in our ear and we can fly. But if you have the over the ear headphones or if you have any other kind, who are plugged into the USB port during takeoff and landing, they'll make you put everything away. But if you're listening on your earbuds, they they seem to be okay with that. So, does that happen? Like, are you Jaime I mean, when you got your Bluetooth headset on and on a plane, do the stewardesses come by and chastise you or? I think takeoff and landing, you generally have to put just about everything away. I don't think I've tried with 
earbuds versus headphones. So I'll generally... Well, then everybody has to fly Air Canada from now on if they want to listen to music while they're taking off. (laughs) As long as you're plugged into the in-flight system. I was just on an Air Canada flight, so that's what they said. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, You know, remember I went to LA last week? That's true. I was going to ask you about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It was warm there. So the idea is that if you're plugged into the system with your headphones on, it's cool. Um, Otherwise, they'll come around and tell you. However, uh, they did not enforce that at all. I had my Bose noise canceling over the ear headphones on the whole time. (laughs) And uh, nobody said anything. Hmm. Go figure. Well, you couldn't hear them say anything. Exactly. But I think they would have nudged me, you know? I was yeah. looking around. Yeah. I was waiting for them to come. And, you know, I had, and at the same time, I've, I've got it plugged into my phone. It's, it's playing a podcast and, uh, and I've got my iPad. I'm reading a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no problem. Mm-hmm. Takeoff and landing didn't matter at all. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, it's really hard to take those kinds of warnings seriously. So what do we think about the lightning port on this iPhone 7 since we're circumventing that conversation? Well, I think the problem is that we're seeing a lot of speculation about it, but one thing we have not heard is Apple's take on this. And if it is in fact real, Apple's going to be able to sell it to us in a way that will at least provide another angle to look at this question from, because right now we don't have that. Right now we've got, oh my God, we can't lose the three and a half mil headphone jack because it would really break a lot of compatibility out there. But um, if Apple has an upside to that, then they need to tell us, and then we can evaluate. At this point, I don't think we can. Well, I just got uh, I just got some Bellboy smart Bluetooth earphones through the ma- through the. I think I saw an ad on on a social networking site, and I foolishly threw down thirty dollars on these things. They sound great, but the battery lasts like maybe four hours. What's your experience like with uh, Bluetooth headphones, Jaime? I wonder if Apple's. That's my where I'm going with this. I think Apple. You think Apple's going to come up with a Bluetooth headset? You know, I don't think I use mine. In like a four-hour direct chunk, um, yeah. I usually turn them on and off. So I'll get through an entire day and maybe a couple days with mine. Oh, they're they're okay as far as headsets go. They're they're rather they're like a small slimline um, behind the back runner kind of mm-hmm. uh, set. Yeah. Uh, you know, because of my beautiful, wonderful hair. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> uh, I, I may not be the best one for that. Like I, I turn them on and off. I, I might do like an hour maybe two at a time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and total time is probably less than four hours so what kind do you have uh, maybe that's me? why i don't have them in front of me i'll have to take a look i'll, I'll do some real-time follow-up in a sec okay um, <laughs> so it's interesting apple apple does own a headphone hardware division that isn't hasn't really done much since they were acquired right they bought beats um and they had a headphone division and apple does have really good battery technology so maybe there's some synergy there. If Apple can take the batteries that they've been developing and, and create one that works in a headphone form factor, then you might have a Bluetooth headphone that has really long battery life, and that could be a good selling point. True, yeah. Just yeah. speculation. I have a pair of uh, Jaybird headphones. Uh, they're Bluetooth, and they are excellent in my experience, and I wear them often, like when I'm walking the dog or working around the house, uh, that sort of thing. And I find battery life to be really good. Like, um, I might charge them once every couple weeks. And I, I, I say that without having a, a good, steady idea of how many hours of use that is. Uh, but they they do take me for quite a while. Yeah, like I said, I just got these these uh, headphones a couple of days ago, and you know I have like a half hour commute to the office, and then another half hour commute away on the way home, and 
and I wasn't even home by wasn't even at the house by the time they were saying low battery please charge you know so yeah that's no good yeah I wasn't impressed one thing that's interesting it's, along these lines is if the lightning jack is used to plug in the headphones you can't charge the phone at the same time as you listen to music exactly you can't plug your charge your yeah. uh, your Apple unless Pencil there's either. a special yeah unless they have a special adapter hmm. interesting Let's see. So I found my headphones. It looks like it's the 66 Audio BTS Plus uh, wireless sports headphones. Um, I got them as a gift. So I don't, yeah, let me see if I can. I think I found a model that's pretty close. I got these as a gift, so I don't I don't know exactly which one, but these look like they're what, $46.99 US. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. That's a good price. Yeah, mine were a little more than that. Yes. They were like 125 but Jaybird's been at this for a while. They've been yeah. They just came it. out with a new set too. I think I first saw them at like a Macworld in like probably two thousand nine, maybe. At a Macworld? Yeah, said? yeah, yeah. I first met them at Macworld when they first coming out. They they weren't even doing um, they didn't have Bluetooth at that time, but they had uh, they had a really nice set of headphones or, or earbuds, and they were like they must have been noise canceling earbuds. So they had they had a band playing there with electronic electric instruments so they had the guitar and they had the bass player and they had a drummer and you had to put the headphones on to hear the band and it was like you were in the room with a like a live band it was really really clear sound but but if you took the headphones off you couldn't hear anything from the musicians clearly yeah at nice. all yeah. At, at all yeah i mean they were across the room for me so you if you were standing right beside them you could hear them plunking away on the strings but that's all you could hear right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay what else we got for fu there people we talked a little bit about uh, iCloud Core Data last week, and, and we're wondering if what's what's the status of that. Uh, and uh, it turns out that it's been deprecated. Apparently, uh, there's a there's a good article discussing some of the details that I hmm. put in the in the show notes. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that that was a really great idea, and I don't know anyone who's actually successfully used it. No, it's been um, a big bone of contention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently, it's it's uh, it is no more. Although Apple's saying they will continue to support apps that use it, they won't shut them down, they won't turn it off, but uh, no more new apps using it. So, what's the alternative? Like, rather than wearing core data locally? Well, this you know this article suggests a couple of third party uh, tools, and and yeah, the other the other case is either just have your database local or or. Uh, Use iCloud uh, and sync. CloudKit. CloudKit. Yeah, Cloud. CloudKit. Yeah, cloud that's what it's sync. called. That's a, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, CloudKit doesn't have a direct core data interface. Uh, no, but you can. No. but you can write some kind of syncing to it, or sync yeah. to some kind of server. Yeah, Apple doesn't really have an answer to this problem, and they don't. it's kind of no. it's kind of a huge problem. Um, and you know, it's not to their credit, and that's why solutions like Realm, I think, are becoming more popular. Among other reasons. <laughs> so uh, Realm Realm has a web. No, component? it doesn't have a web component. It's local, no, right? But it is it is a a, a readily uh, more manageable local data store, right? Um, than Core Data, which is but, complex. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Well, they're not deprecating Core Data. No, no. I know. I, I didn't say that. Okay. Core data in the cloud. Core data in the cloud. Core data in, in the cloud. Yeah. Right. iCloud Core Data deprecated. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's just. Um, I don't want to conf- conflate the two, but yeah. um, it's just one of those one of those things. Like when when developers, I know, have been looking for something that uh, that goes to the cloud as well as uh, local. Uh, there is no officially sanctioned solution aside from 
you know, use, use core data locally, use cloud kit remotely. Right. And the two, you have to glue them together yourself. Right. And we talked about Firebase a couple of weeks ago, which is just a web only um, database, right? Like online database, a cloud database. I mean, no, it's got, it's got local, local syncing. um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do the local database and it will sync as well. It's not core data based. Right. uh, So that, that's a, a big difference. Um, hmm. one that is core database is apparently ensembles, which I have, I've never used before. Yeah. This is the one that they're recommending article. in the article. That's right. And that's a commercial product, right? It's not uh, open yeah, source. It's sort of um, in half, half, like ensembles version one is open source. Version two is commercial. So, um, mm. the, the, the first version works fine, but the second version has some stuff that makes it a lot easier to use. So it is kind of a weird thing. Well, it makes sense, though, based on what we've been talking about for the last couple of years, that software as a service is going to have to become chargeable at some point. I think there's a lot of uh, things that we talked about in the last little while that are starting to charge for services that were before, you know, free for like a, to a certain level, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's all on how you position it. Um, yeah. Do we have any more FU? MacBook Air never get upgrade. Yeah, well, so I, I did have this on the list of things to talk. We talked about MacBook Air, uh, I think, three episodes ago. We were talking about the MacBook and the MacBook Air, and you made a comment about it not being updated. And then there was a rumor about a week or so later saying that it was going to get upgraded. And then here's a piece, a couple of pieces, actually. This is one I picked up today that um, says that the MacBook Air is probably not going to get updated. But what I thought was interesting about this was somewhere down in the deep in the bowels of the, of the discussion, they talked about maybe... Uh, the iPad Pro is a replacement for the MacBook Air. Hmm. Yeah, so... <sighs> I think the MacBook is the successor to the MacBook Air. It is, but there's a price point difference, right? So, you know, there is now, but, yeah. you know, that won't always be the case. So you think that the MacBook will come down to, like, a $1,000 range where the... Right. Do you rem- you- don't you remember when the MacBook Air first came out and it was, like, $1,600? Was it? I can't remember. Yeah, it was crazy expensive. And then uh, a couple years later, they sort of relaunched it. Yeah. And it was the affordable, low-cost Mac that was still incredibly thin and light. And, you know, they're going to do the same thing with the MacBook. You know, why did they call it just MacBook? It's the consumer laptop of That's choice. That's true. That's true, right? You know, and it, it may not uh, have the specs for that yet, but it's definitely going to. There's no question. MacBook yeah. Air is going to die. Hello? It's dead, guys. <laughs> Don't you get it yet? It's a zombie product. Hmm. I think We've they known could, that for a long time. Right. And, and I think the way that they could do it is by having um, this year's current, whatever the lowest end MacBook is, you know, stay as it is, have that be the, what is MacBook Air started like eight ninety nine, nine ninety nine US? Yeah, something like that. And they just, they just went 8 gig across the board last year. So, right. So you keep that as the entry level model and then the, the new hotness, you know, Skylake or uh, I forget the next Intel processor that's coming out, uh, have those be the, you know, mid range to high end models. I mean, that, that could make sense. Um, if you drop the MacBook Air out of the line. Maybe, maybe there is so much that we don't know yet about the whole, well, Mac lineup, like all of it, right? I think the position that it's in right now, if you go to the Mac rumors buyer's guide and you see like everything is red, don't buy it, you know? Uh, so we're really like looking forward to Apple making a refresh on a whole bunch of lines. And it's, it's typically in this time of year that they do it. And it's actually a little bit late. I would say it's usually, I think in June, right? It's, it's late. It is late. 
big time. I, I can't fathom what's going on over there, to be honest with you. Those crazy kids at Apple. Those crazy kids at Apple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, actually, I have follow-up on uh, your talk last week about GraphQL. Um, I just wanted to say uh, I've using, I'm using it myself at Disney and uh, in our project. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's not perfect, but <laughs> it's actually really super cool. So, I really appreciated uh, the conversation that you guys had last week about that show. About that that software sorry cool (laughs) (laughs) anyway does Jaime have anything to say about rest I do this is follow up from last week's discussion Um, it was related to I think the GraphQL piece is when it uh, when it came up and Mm -hmm. uh, how using the the GraphQL methodology is like quite counter and I think Mark pointed this out it's quite counter to the, the restful way of doing things and uh, since some folks uh, asked about it, um, there's an article here by Mar- uh, Martin Fowler, a uh, longtime software engineer, who's talking about the uh, the maturity model for um, like the different levels of you know quote unquote restfulness. And uh, this apparently comes from uh, Leonard Richardson, who is I think the person who formalized the description for restful as a style. And it, there's uh, four levels, right? There's like level zero, which is, you know, you're really just using HTTP to do remote procedure call. You're just using HTTP as like a tunneling mechanism, right? Nothing fancy. You're, you're calling a method remotely. Uh, level one is resources. So that's where you're actually starting to think of like, well, we have, um, uh, gosh, I'm going to screw this up, like an endpoint that has to deal with albums, or one that deals with songs, or one that deals with uh, users. And then level two is kind of like the next step up from there. It's where you have the HTTP verbs and and using them in a meaningful way. So if you get from a user, you know, you'll get like either the list of users or a particular user. Um, if you post one, you've probably created. If you patch, you know, you're changing it in some sort of way, you know, updating. Uh, put would also be a similar one and then delete you know you would delete the user this is about as far as i generally see uh, quote-unquote restful apis go and there'll be tons of discussion that people will have online on reddit or hacker news slash thought about like what is restful and not the one that i never really see and the whole reason i even brought this up as as fu is level three uh hypermedia controls where Mm -hmm. there's information in each call that you make that tells you what the next steps are that you can take. And the the simplest way to think of this is like, just think about what your browser does when you go download like yahoo.com, right? It pulls down this whole page that has all these hypermedia links that say, oh, go to sports, go to weather, go to current news, right? It tells the browser what you can do next. This is a little harder to do, I think, uh, at the API level. And I've not really seen too many people really do this. I've seen some much more limited cases where, oh, uh, you know, we have a, uh, like the app has started up and needs to get system configuration API. And that tells it all the other configurations for, you know, what's the main URL for item search, what's the main URL for item posting and other bits. Um, I've almost never seen anybody do level three. Uh, I'd be curious if anybody here has uh, in any serious way, seen that, but I, I think it's a really good descriptive article to read either way. Yeah, it's interesting, and and I think will cause a bunch of debate amongst REST purists 
because from a pure you know Fowler uh, definition point of, sorry not Fowler fielding uh, Roy fielding uh, definition of, of what rest is really only level one of this is rest because the rest is really about resources access to resources everything else is uh, as soon as you start talking about HTTP pulling in the transport system that's an implementation of rest as opposed to rest itself uh, and things like level three is almost more of a you know RPC type of thing where where, where it, it's you know, by a strict a strict uh, definition, it's really not restful. Now, that's this is all without making any judgments about whether restful is good or not. Uh, but by the strict definitions, a lot of what they're talking about here is not restful at all. Which is kind of interesting, right? Hmm. I've I've heard of hate OS <laughs> <laughs> hypertext as the engine of application state. This level three of which you speak, I've never seen it in 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 practice. Right. Yeah. So is that is that how that's pronounced? I've only seen it written, I'm, and I imagine it was hateos or hateos. Yeah. Hateos. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. We we can strangle that kid. We can ask Siri. Ask Siri how to pronounce. No, no, she can barely pronounce my name. So interesting, if not confusing. Mm-hmm. We will we will adjourn and study this in detail. Hmm. Hmm. You know, you can tell uh, Siri how to pronounce your name, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And of course, I've had to do that. Right. Like everyone's name. And does she still mess it up? No, not anymore. Oh, she still has trouble with with my my grandson's family names because they're German. Ah, Germans, yes. Interesting. It must be a German word for the feeling that you get when you hear it pronounced. Yeah, interesting. As I look further down in this article, there's, there's a mention at the very end where... Roy Fielding himself, they're quoting, is saying that level three is a precondition of rest, which is very interesting. Huh. Uh, and then you click on it, and he starts off by saying, I'm getting frustrated by the number of people calling any HTTP-based interface a REST API, right? Uh, then he gives an example, and he says that example is RPC. Anyway, that, these are details. But I, I think it just comes down to show that REST is uh, is uh, something that even though there's there's some strict definition somewhere of it, it's it's kind of uh, sort of like agile. It is what what you make of it, and every Definitely. everyone has a different definition of of what it is, and uh, I guess whatever works for you. As long as it gets the bits to my phone, yep. I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm. Hey, MTJC listeners, Indie Dev Stock is an iOS developer conference being held in Nashville, Tennessee at the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center, September 16th to 17th, 2016. At Stock, you'll have the opportunity to meet great people with whom you share common interests. You'll enjoy two days of technical and inspirational talks from some of the industry's most successful developers, designers, and entrepreneurs. You'll also get to experience the best Southern-style food and live music right in the heart of Music City. Use code MTJC to get 25% off. All right, on with the show. This is it. So what is happening this week? What happened this week? Anything? We got beta 2 of all yep. the stuff. Mm-hmm. And that um, is, is not entirely without incident, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can tell you that beta 1 and my iPad have had issues. Um, so, And I heard, I heard other people complaining about iPad Pros with, with beta, beta 1. 
I, th- I think it, it's a little churlish to complain about issues about a beta, with a beta software. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> just, just my opinion. You're, One you're star right. review. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One star. Screw this crap. <laughs> no, it wasn't. So, it wasn't a showstopper. It was just uh, some, some minor annoyances, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. yeah. So what were you saying though about incident with uh, beta two? Well, beta two uh, made some breaking changes to Swift, which. Uh, you know, cause code to not work anymore. Okay. I was a little surprised by that, to be honest with you. Like, I thought the changes that were being made to Swift 3 were, were made in that we would have bug fixes, but not actual changes to the programming language. Um, mm-hmm. Guess what? <laughs> there were changes to the programming language. Do you know of any specifics? Or Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, well, in particular, like a lot of uh, functions have been turned into properties. Um, so uh, an example, uh, NS Bundle, which is now Bundle, Mm-hmm. Uh, is you know, and you want main main bundle, you know, is main and with parentheses. Yep. Now it's just main as a property. Oh, really? So bundle dot main is what you would type in Swift three as of beta two. Uh, prior to that, it was bundle dot main uh, parentheses. Right, right. To indicate that it's a function, it is no longer a function. But would you ever have pass in uh, arguments into that? particular no 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 so yeah you can very readily uh agree that this is a great idea uh it, mm-hmm. it makes the language simpler uh it's just peculiar that they made that change now mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder you know if we get like three more betas before the fall if we're going to see this now the reason this kind of hit me in particular is that uh, our project we we went immediately to swift 3 when it came out and uh just went through the process of of getting our project onto swift 3 last week Right. Uh, and so when beta two came out this week, we just jumped right into it, downloaded Xcode eight beta two and started, uh, uh, converting it, you know, just seeing if it would work. And of course it didn't. And then all of a sudden everything's broken because it's not just our project, but, um, every, uh, dependency we have that, uh, is also in the project, which, you know, have been good on being up to date on Swift three, but, uh, hadn't caught up on this one yet. So, uh, we had to back out. Peculiar, that's all. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, I, I don't want to be churlish and say, oh my goodness, you know, things aren't working in a beta, but uh, it's it's just funny how such uh, significant changes were made uh, within the beta process. Right, right. Okay. Well, based on our feedback, that's the kind of thing people want to hear from you, Aaron. They do? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, we had a we had a comment on, and we're not. I think it's sarcastic, but we had a comment on the fact that you and I worked on the show last week and, and it got very Cody. It did get Cody. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I gotta. I'm not even sure I got through the rest of the show. It was a long show. Gosh, they're all long. Though. Um, mm-hmm. hang on one second. Uh, looking at my overcast. Yeah, I still got 21 minutes left. Wow. Yeah. You haven't got to the good parts then. Well, I guess I'm in the picks, right? So uh, yeah, I haven't heard. Yeah. Um, you know, Jaime's, and I think Jaime. What was your pick last week? What two picks Remind did you? I have? Um, yeah. What, what two picks you? Bastard. You only had two. I only uh, had the two. ultimate uh, Apple I/O death chart. Uh, that was Detecting low power mode in macOS WW app. That's right. Yeah. So uh, macOS low power. Or sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> Let me restate that. So the low power mode and Git stand up were the two picks that I had. Okay, right. so right. Um, I haven't gotten to your picks yet. We're, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. It's actually, mm-hmm. this I think might be the first time that I have come to a new recording without having heard everything of the last episode, which is awful. Oh, just awful. But that's only because it's been a crazy busy week. 
I'm, I'm interested in what Jaime has placed in here about software has diseconomies of scale because I, uh, I was so intrigued. I had to read that earlier this evening and, uh, I dig it. Jaime hit us with it. Yeah. So this is a blog post by, um, Alan Kelly and, I almost feel like I'm going to end up backpedaling on this one in a future episode, <laughs> but for, for today, when I... I don't see how. I don't I was see how. reading it, it was making the analogy of, you know, normally when you're producing things, you're producing widgets of some sort, you know, you're producing cars, you're producing iPhones, there's economies of scale where things, um, it's not as if they're trivial, but they become much uh, easier to do and you get things to be less expensive in general in a broad brush. Uh, the more widgets you make at one time, the easier it is to get, you know, uh, all your materials at once and get a, a wholesale price on that to not have to, you know, ramp up tooling, ramp up hiring, ramp it down and do all sorts of things. It's much better to just have a nice continuous flow of that. And in this article, it talks about how software is almost like the complete opposite. So if we take about, you know, five-ish developers, you can get, you know, this nice, great speed. And as you start adding more and more people... Um, somewhat thinking of the, like the mythical man month mm-hmm. item here. Um, it gets like either, you know, not as fast or it becomes like no faster than you were before, uh, just with, with more folks. Um, particularly as we still have, I mean, we just had this restful architecture discussion where it, things are just so, you know, early on where we're still kind of like in the stone age of, of software development, right? We're still kind of figuring it out and we're we're arguing about patterns like uh mvvm mvc viper uh clean all sorts of things and so you can very quickly end up with like this huge gnarled mess and and certainly people out there have either been uh, guilty of this like such as me uh, and, and playing my part in that or you've been sort of like the the unwitting bystander of this for some like huge monstrosity of software you're like oh my gosh this is crazy i think i and my buddy could do something like this and that's where so many projects are bored indeed yeah yeah small is nimble in software development right whereas you can't be small and make milk (laughs) at 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 scale okay (laughs) (laughs) at scale yes you can go to your nearest cow you just need a cow (laughs) (laughs) well i I say milk because that's the example in the article (laughs) um but I, I dig it. I, I like small teams. I like uh, I like the idea of, of working with uh, yourself or or a couple other people. Um, and but you know I, I don't have a ton of experience working in larger teams, uh, such as the kind that I believe Tim is working with now. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel like it would be politically expedient for you to comment on this at all? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, so so I, somewhere down your three quarters of the way down the screen there, there's a, a rather comical phrase. And I'm going to have to go read the article that it links to called says large companies trying to be agile reminds me of middle aged men buying sports cars. That is a perfect analogy. <laughs> from what I'm living with. But anyway, I, I guess how we break it down, though, is we break it down into smaller projects. So we work, like, I'm currently on a team with two Android developers and two iOS developers, and then we have uh, um, a middle middleware guy uh, who's doing all the Java stuff, and then we have QA, and uh, so and we have a product manager and, and a, delivery, a technical delivery manager. So we have, you know, uh, a small group within a large organization. Um, and so we can focus in on specific parts of the app and away we go. There are other teams where there are like, you know, uh, eight Android developers and eight 
uh, iOS developers and a tech lead, a couple of tech leads, and then then they have their agile coaches and all that kind of stuff. And they have to be very practiced at agile. They have to open and close tickets because there's no way to get through the tasks that they have at hand without some system of management. Whereas my team, because it's a smaller team, can be much more like what you're used to working with Aaron, where we can be sort of you know uh, we can occasionally you know swing over to the other guy's computer and pair. Pair, pair our way through a problem, you know, or work independently. And and we talk to the Android guys as if they're on the same team, kind of how Greg was talking about uh, his work with um, over at Instagram, where he's, you know, he's able to work with the Android guys, the backend guys, you know, uh, and, and have that communication open. Because in order to get a big task done, that's kind of sort of how you have to do it, right? So it's a big, big team, but, uh, you know, and we do actually the, we do have a once a week uh, scrum where all, you know, 16 of us try to get together or whatever, how many there are in the room. And we all talk about just the iOS guys. And we just talk about what everybody else is working on. And, you know, so you might, you might run into a problem that somebody else on another team has experience with, and you could tap into that them as a resource, right. To solve a problem. But, uh, so, um, I worked on the, I worked on the big groups and I've worked on the small groups. And, and I think, you, I think it's just like they say, like with agile, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right. So, um, I think you have to sort of break it down into smaller chunks, no matter how you build, how you work it, right? Too true. Yeah, there, there is a downside of that type of approach, though. If you if you break it down into two smaller chunks, and and uh, you're constantly changing those chunks, then there's a tendency to lose the big picture when you're you, you tend to to respond to the problem of the day or the issue of the day, fix that thing, and and sort of meander around, and, and then if you if you take a you know, fifty thousand foot look at the thing at the end. It's it, it it's it's very different than what uh, some overall planning might have might have come up with. Uh, now, I'm not saying I'm not saying waterfall is, is is the right approach by any means, but I'm just saying sometimes teams that use agile processes as opposed to an agile philosophy uh, get mired down in the in the process uh as opposed to the philosophy of of do what it takes to get the job done and communicate well and that's kind of sort of what i as you know i tend to work on i tend to look at i try to look at the big picture as much as i can and and you know when when i look at the jira tickets that are open and they're broken down to like you know push the button down and lift the button up that's two separate tickets that's a bit too much minutia right right um and i'm resistant to that anyway so um, I much prefer to work with the group as, as uh, you know, I, I mean, I do my piece and they do their pieces, and, but we collaborate on things rather than try and be uh, dictated to by by the the individual task at hand, which is the JIRA ticket, right, or the JIRA story. So I kind of, I, I, you know, you're right. I mean, I, I find that you, we have to sort of meld it all together to get, to get the project done, right? So like the last couple of, couple of days I've been working with, with a, a web guy because he's doing some middleware for me. So I'm, you know, I'm writing the iOS and handing over to him and he's handing it off to, a, or, you know, uh, the back end guys who are doing stuff with it and then bringing it back to us and we respond to it. We couldn't do that if we were working in our, indi- if we were working on individual tickets, we, you know, we'd, we'd never get anything done that way. Right. Cause we'd be, I'm done waiting for you to finish your piece and then so on and so forth. And that's just counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to go back. I don't know if you ever, if you guys have ever actually read the Agile Manifesto. It's a real interesting read, uh, and it'll take you about fifteen seconds. 
it's <laughs> it's really short. It's 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 about you know less than ten bullet points, and it's really all about just you know talk about things so that it makes sense. Uh, and and uh, you know one of the philosophies is you know don't spend a lot of time filing Jira tickets. I will say you know to use an yeah. example, if yeah. you can just talk to the person right next to you and 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 fix the problem that way. And yeah. and I think a lot of the agile processes. This might make me unpopular with some people, but a lot of the agile processes are are very contrary to the actual agile philosophy. Right. Uh, if you spend all day long writing Jira tickets and then just fixing Jira tickets when you could have fixed the problem and just by talking to the guy sitting right next to you, then yeah, it doesn't yeah. really get the job done efficiently. Yeah. But this is all my opinion. No, but it's true. And, and we did talk about this, you know, long before I went in and worked on a, on a team about the difference between working remotely and working in an office. And I think it was you that raised the point that when you're working in an office, you can go, or maybe Jaime, you can actually go talk to somebody, you know, mm-hmm. or as similar as you would do in, you know, in a Slack group or thank God for Slack with remote working, I can tell you for sure. But, um, you know, to be able to pick up the phone or actually go to somebody's desk and, you know, maybe even share a screen and sort of look at the code together, um, that's worth way more than, than uh, trying to work independently all the time. You know, yeah, I, I, but I totally agree with your point, though, about about the whole process of just opening and closing tickets, just for the sake of opening and closing tickets. That's not that's not productive at all. Mm-hmm. You know, the goal shouldn't be to close the ticket. The goal should be to solve the problem. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, engineers or developers, uh, for you, yeah, Canadian you. folks, uh, have a tendency to not not so much want to talk to people and and communicate with people. And I'm guilty of this myself completely. Uh, so it's easy to just you know, fill out a form or check off a box or, or move a colored box across the screen. That's a whole lot easier than going and talking and communicating to someone. So, so it's an easy trap to fall into. I pasted a link into the, uh, the chat or not the chat. Yeah, Skype. Uh, is that the correct document? Mark? Uh, let me see. Yep. That's it. So you notice there's no mention of, uh, of scrum. There's no mention of Jira, not even no, any of mention of, of pair programming, which was sort of the original concept. Because it's it's sort of beyond that, right? Those are all just implementations as opposed to yeah, the, yeah. The there's there's no tools mentioned here. It's all intentions, right? Right. And that's part of the idea is that if you have the right intentions and everyone is is working to to uh, fulfill those intentions to the best of their ability, it kind of doesn't matter what tool you use because it'll still get you yeah. there. Yep. Not much of a website though, huh? <laughs> completely intentional very lean but, yeah. but that's done on purpose right that's yeah. that's the whole idea it is it's meant to be very lean all right okay so this is now the philosophy of code uh, webcast <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah i was a little worried we got kind of cody there for a while but you know we've come back out of it yep what's next uh yeah i i think that that covers our topics we could do picks now well we have mm-hmm. uh so anything about these game controllers i mean Oh, a, a couple of a, a couple of quick hits. So, um, if you're a gamer and you're super interested in what Nintendo is doing, they have broached the possibility of creating um, physical controllers for smart devices, such as you know, iPhones, iPads, that sort of thing. They, they didn't name them, but you can you can imagine. And uh, it's more of a, a heads up for developers that uh, you know, there's there's been these attempts to do it before by. Um, moga and a few other uh, cats i think well, mad cats did some of these and uh, they were okay uh, at best um but it's worth paying attention to see what nintendo ends up doing because 
surely like no indie developer can like go and produce this sort of thing and it would be difficult like a kickstarter but you can mightily ride those coattails hypothetically if if mario for the iphone comes out uh you better and it has like a controller pack-in of some sort that you can go physically buy or or have shipped to you uh that would be huge right it might actually spur a lot more people to use those controller type peripherals so it's kind of more of like a rumor idle speculation at the moment but something to you know keep your ears to the ground listening for the other one is uh, related to pokemon go which is i think as we speak right now is still soft launched in new zealand and australia if you've ever played the ingress game which i think is owned by google now mm-hmm. it's kind of like a location-based thing uh, ingress was based on going around uh, you know around your neighborhood around the city and you know capturing points uh, particular places in this Pokemon Go game, which I have not played because it's not available in the United States yet. You do something similar, but you capture Pokemon. And Nintendo, of course, is selling its own um, Bluetooth-enabled uh, peripheral that goes with that. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So just FYI, I, I'll see if I can try it in the next week or so. Hopefully, before the next episode, they'll they'll release it, and I'll <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give that a shot and see how it goes. Okay, so let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks, and we'll stop at Aaron and see if Aaron has a pick. Yes, I do. It is the LulzBot Mini, which is a 3D printer. Hmm. I have been uh, very seriously considering purchasing a 3D printer, and so I spent all of my free time this week (laughs) doing research into these things. It is a very complex market. Guess what? Uh, there are a lot of vendors out there now making 3D printers, and uh, they uh, range in price from several hundred dollars to many thousands of dollars. Uh, and and uh, ability or ease of use is is also in a very wide range out there. Uh, in my examinations of the market and the way things stand right now, the Lulzbot Mini which is being made by this company called Lulzbot, uh, seems to have a really great balance of ease of use, print quality, um, and affordability. Uh, it's clearly not the most affordable printer on the market, but uh, it is uh, one of the best you can get for the price at the current time. And I would love to have had an Aaron Vey who isn't me, um, come on to a podcast to listen to and tell me that uh, so that I could have saved myself many hours of research. I feel like the wire cutter of 3D printers right now. So the question is, why Why the heck would you want a 3D printer? That's that's question one. And uh, if I had an excellent, you know, ironclad answer to that question, um, it would already be on its way to me. <laughs> as, as it stands right now, I need to talk much more quickly to my wife. So consider this my practice. I'm, uh, as I've said in previous shows, I'm building something called a, a Pie Girl Zero, which is a kit that you get from Adafruit, the electronics purveyor, uh, that combines a Raspberry Pi Zero with a, a little three and a half inch display and various components to create a Game Boy-like video game handheld console thing um, using a RetroPie uh, Linux distro which provides a whole bunch of old video games that you can play on this thing um, and uh, it looks super cool the problem is you got to 3D print the case and I thought I was going to do this at my local library but it has limitations on the amount of print time that you can have on the device it's insufficient to print my case and now I don't know what the hell I'm going to do you know I have so, a 3D printer here at my house and I could print your case and bring it to Taco next Tuesday next Tuesday? 
Tacos next Tuesday. Is it really? Yeah. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> you're, you are SVP that you're going to be there, and I was going to bring shirts to you and stuff. Oh, I'm going to cry now. Um, <laughs> damn. <laughs> yeah, it turns out I'm going to be on vacation next week at the cottage. Ah, the cottage. <sighs> Curses. Oh, that so really breaks my heart. you're going to be on the show heart. next week, too. Well, I'm actually planning to bring my microphone, and I'm hoping oh. that I will be on the show. Okay. Uh, just, we did this last year. Oh, did um, we? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> so if, if anyone out there is in the market for a 3D printer, um, I encourage you to take a look at this one because it does seem like a, a very excellent pick. Mm-hmm. And if, if I can uh, talk myself and my wife into this, um, then uh, I will have it. Uh, maybe within a month or so. So did you did you by chance look at the uh, printer bot printers at all? I did, yes. Mm. And uh, they they don't seem to have. Um, they're not as positively reviewed mm. as the Lulz bot. Um, I'll tell you one of the one of the features that really won me over for this one is it's an open source printer. Yeah. In the sense that um, the plans are available online, and other manufacturers can create parts for it. Right. Uh, also. Um, it is compatible with the, the most broad selection of materials. Okay. And so one of the materials that the pie girl calls for, um, you know, the normal like ABS plastic, right, is is typically what a 3D printer uses. Or PLA, uses. PLA. Yes, or PLA, yeah. yeah. Um, there are many types. Uh, but there's one that the plans call for called Ninja Flex mm-hmm. or TPE, I believe it is. And... Um, very few printers can handle that, but the Lulzbot Mini can with an additional print head that you buy. Like a, they call it a flex extruder. Mm-hmm. It's a flexible. Does extruder. it make a flexible plastic when it's finished? Is that what yes? It's like a rubbery plastic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for the buttons on this thing, right? They you want a like sort of a oh yeah slightly yeah. squishier feel on them instead of hard plastic. Right. So uh, that's what these are for. Um, so it seems like it would. It's it's got the combination of. Um, ease of use, quality, and uh, capability for the broadest range of materials. So, what about off-gassing on that particular material? I have no idea. Yeah, you have to look into that. Yeah, because because uh, like PLA, you can you can have it in your house and and print with it. ABS, you have to have some sort of exhaust or, and then I don't, I don't know about this other material you're talking about. Interesting. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. Uh, so you've got a maker bot. I have a printer bot. A printer bot. Yeah, with a heated bed to upgrade. Yeah. Sweet, you're you're happy with it? You using it all the time? Uh, well, I was. We have a there's a there's an alignment issue with it, but that has to do with the software. But uh, yeah, we we use it uh, quite often. But uh, we bought a heated heated um, bed for it, but it's it's kind of it it's it's a separate piece that we sort of have to take out of the box when we want to print it. But yeah, it's it's quite good. I've printed lots of stuff on it. Um, but so people listening to this show, I realize by the time it publishes, it'll be Saturday morning, and the Maker Fair is at the Toronto Reference Library on saturday so saturday and sunday this week it's free but you have to register in advance on i think on eventbrite and they have some classes and stuff there's um i'm going to a class on making drones with my grandson on sunday and i think on saturday there's another class we're going to but uh if you if you're listening to the show and you've got some time on saturday or sunday come on come down to the toronto reference library there'll be 3d printers there'll be Last year they had an Oculus Oculus Rift for you to try out. They had a Commodore old Commodore computers they put up there for people to play games and try out retro computing and all kinds of maker stuff, if you will. If you're into if you're into building stuff, Arduino, Raspberry Pi, come on by. Oh, I would love to be there. Alas, alas, the cottage. You're gonna be there on Saturday, okay? All right. Yeah, going up on Saturday. 
Ah. But those of you who are in the Toronto area and listening to the show, you know, stop what you're doing, put the lawnmower away, and go to the Maker Fair. <laughs> Good pick. Okay, that's Tim, my pick. Thank Tim, you. Tim, are you going to show up with the little uh, idols of yourself? Do you still have the 3D oh, yeah, printed version somewhere. of yourself? Last thing I printed recently was uh, uh, Queen Nefertiti. Somebody went into the, I guess in Egypt somewhere that there's a, uh, she was exhibited in like, you know, without glass around her. And a bunch of guys walked in with uh, a scarf around their neck and behind the scarf was, uh, uh, you know, the, um, the 3D sensor on uh, uh, Xbox. I forget what it's called. You know, the the connect connect yeah so they had that hanging around their neck and they were they were lifting the scarf up and they were scanning this this nefertiti and they they put up online a really high res version of this uh, ancient egyptian sculpture so i printed out a you know three and a half inch tall one and i also have it sitting next to my millennium falcon right now so a 3d printed millennium of course falcon. a 3d printed yeah. so I'm sitting on top of my apple develop apple tv developer kit box yeah, one of the things I did while investigating these printers was go to Thingiverse, which yes. is a site that, yeah. uh, you know, people uh, design 3D objects and upload them and they remix them. And, yeah, Creative Commons, um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's such a, a fascinating community. Mm-hmm. And you could just imagine, like, the uses you might have for a 3D printer are if, like, you know, something in your house breaks. Like, my daughter broke the pull on her zipper on her pencil case yeah. <laughs> today. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I could 3D print the new pull they for this. Totally do I? That, yeah. yeah, I go to Thingiverse, find a zipper pull, print yeah. it, done. <laughs> yeah, and I use Instead Google, I use Google SketchUp, which is a very simple to use 3D software to create. You can create objects on that, right? right. And there's lots of courses online on how to, how to use them. So you can make little widgets or whatever uh, in SketchUp, and then you can export them into the format that you need for uh, an STL file, I believe. For, That's right. Yeah. For uh, 3D printing, and then then you just scale it in the in the print in the software. Cura is the software that I use to print most of my stuff. Cura is the software that comes with the Lulzbot Mini. Well, there you go. Yeah. Very cool. Like it's such an, an interesting world, uh, and it feels like. I, I might have this piece of hardware that cost me a pretty penny sitting in my office, but uh, there may be maybe many uses that it could be applied to. So if you have an Xbox, like so, my my grandson brought me his extra Connect thing, right? I don't have an Xbox here, but you can plug that into USB into your Mac, and there's open source software you can get, so you can scan things with with uh, Connect and create uh, 3D models with them as well, right? Really? Yeah, that's how the that's how I was scanned. The the, the sculpture that uh, Harmony was talking about with me with my hat on, I was right. sitting in an office chair and I was just turning around really slowly while they were scanning me up and down, and then they gave me the file and then I cleaned it up and printed it. Amazing. Yeah, so it's kind of cool stuff. It's not perfect, but you know what? Who cares? Jeez. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah so, by the way, I guess Maker Fair is my pick for this week. Sounds like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, Jaime, you've given us one of your picks already. Yeah, what happened there? Well, so I, I talked about the news topic, but my uh, first pick is a public service announcement from the appropriately named Darwin Police Station, um, who is advising people that, uh, you know, as I mentioned for Pokemon Go, you you find these things out there in the real world. It might be at the beach, it might be at the park, it might be at your school. Apparently, some of these Pokemon can be found in police stations such as the darwin police station and Mm. they're advising people that um one you don't actually have to come into the police station uh you can do it right outside the door quite nicely um you know probably not great to just be running around in there and uh two they're also advising people to make sure you you know 
look both ways before you cross the street and look up from your phone every once in a while and don't end up winning the Darwin Award, I think. Ah, <laughs> uh, right, right. Mm-hmm. So is this, is this like a VR thing? Like you look through your, you look around and you see uh, Pokemons like virtually? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's more like a like an AR type thing. That AR, it, yeah, you're not like strapping it to your face. You're kind of holding it up, and you can see like the, like a camera view, and it like superimposes the uh, Pokemon on there somehow. Yeah, not, again, was, I've not yeah, played yeah, the game, yeah, but I've just seen yeah, the screenshots. With, with the AR technology, the way it works is usually there's some sort of pattern, and then the, the application recognizes that pattern and, and projects a 3D model or something like that uh, in on the screen. Right, right. that stuff. Yeah. So be safe out there. Yeah. Along those lines, this, <laughs> is a little, this is a little less dangerous than, than something that just happened around here last week, I think. Uh, you know about these this geocaching games that people do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, somebody set up one of these games and left a a uh, a suspicious-looking package that inclu- that was the actual geocache package, but they, they put it sort of at the, uh, uh, the front gate of some kind of a secure facility. Uh, and shut down the whole area as as the police came and had to decide whether there was actually a bomb or not. So the nice thing about the, the in the virtual world is is you don't have that kind of issue. But uh, same kind of rules about just be careful and don't be silly. Apply. Yeah, don't try you know jumping the White House fence or something yeah. or exactly <laughs> walking into Area Fifty One or something like you know use some uh, some common sense with that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so hey, if you're a developer and you're interested in, in augmented reality, there was a an app called, uh, I think Powered by String is the website, and they had a, an iOS app, it may still be available, um, where you can, you can they demonstrate how you can do augmented reality apps. They had an SDK at one point, um, so, and, and you, you have these printable targets you can print out on a color printer, and then you look at them through the, like in the camera mode on your app, and you'll see like these little animations and dragons flying out of the page and that kind of stuff. It's really kind of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Even, yeah, even NASA, NASA had one too. Um, yeah. Where you could like uh, print out different, you know, uh, patterns, and you could see like the Mars rover and, the Cassini probe and a couple other things, I think. There used to be an SDK called uh, Vuforia, V-U-F-O-R-I-A, I think. That was, at one point, it was made by Qualcomm. I think they spun it off. But it was the same kind of thing. You could drop it into your app and use it to, you know, look through the camera and recognize things and have 3D images show up in the camera. Kind of like what cool. Strings did. Cool. So what's your uh, second pick there, honey? Well, before I get to that one, um, oh, sorry. I'll put in the show notes. I found, it looks like the app is still in the App Store. It is the Spacecraft 3D app by Jet Propulsion Laboratory that has, um, what what do they have? Curiosity. I can see the rover. Uh, looks like it hasn't been updated since 2014, so your mileage may vary there, but uh, mm-hmm. I remember using that back in the day. Okay, yeah. I'm a real pick. <laughs> yes, real pick. So, uh, coming back to code... Uh, and, and not even strictly on the um, you know normal beaten path for iOS developers. God knows. There's a new uh, IDE for the iPad that's available, done by uh, I cannot find his name. Where is his name? Uh, Frank, Frank Kruger. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> thank you. And it's called uh, Continuous, a C sharp and F sharp IDE for the iPad. So if you you know, you've, you've played with the Swift Playgrounds, you can kind of imagine what that sort of looks like here. Uh, in this case, it's not 
uh, like meant for children. So it doesn't have like the, uh, the more storybook quality. This is much more code level, uh, sketch pad, so to speak. Um, but it, he's showing you know, what you can do there with, um, you know, it's, uh, as it claims here, it gives you the power of a traditional desktop.net IDE. Um, it looks really, really cool. Uh, he does give credit out to the Pythonista app and the Codia app. Uh, and a lot of shout outs out to a lot of open source material that he used, like, uh, Microsoft open source, the, uh, Roslyn, um, what is it? The CLR, the, um, common language runtime compiler and, and other bits. Um, and apparently he also used Xamarin forms, which is, it's, it's, uh, the bit that Microsoft bought. That's basically .NET, uh, for, for multi-platform, including iOS. And uh, I thought that was really cool. It's uh, what on the U.S. store it is nine dollars and ninety nine cents. So if you're somebody who does C sharp, and uh, I'm actually quite surprised how many people I've run into recently who are um, yeah, using Xamarin uh, primarily for the most part uh, to do iOS development, uh, this might be for you. Um, maybe also if you're into F sharp, the uh, functional language that uh, Microsoft has. This is astonishing. Yeah, I'm like, holy smokes! This is really, really cool that we we have this. I'm actually, actually kind of kind amazed of that that <laughs> Apple allowed this to go in the App Store. Aren't there? Don't oh, they have pretty strict no. rules against this? No, not anymore. Yeah, but against uh, like code execution, right? Yeah, on a device. Yeah, they've really let go of that, and I think part of the um, the cause of that was um, games who needed like to run Lua interpreters, for example. And then when Pythonista came out, which is just like this, it's a full-fledged coding environment for Python, right? Um, and Codia, I remembered that one, but I can't remember what it exactly it is. It makes games, right? And I think that is like a scripting language. Lua, it is Lua, right? So straight up, Lua in Codia, Pythonista, and now this. And the only thing that you can do to write Swift on an iPad is... Swift story uh, boards. Um, the hell is it called? Playgrounds. Playgrounds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean baby yeah. steps, right? Like we're That's we're turning these week. devices into more capable yeah. bits. Yeah. Still, you can do more with continuous than you can with playgrounds. It seems. Hmm. Is that right? Um, is that right? Well, is that right? What, I, guess I, I, mean, the question. I mean, I, I I say that with a a rising question mark at the end. Yes. I, I've not used the playgrounds bit so uh, or on, on it, iPad. Yeah, even if it, as it's come out of my mouth, I'm wondering uh, because you know it's it does seem um, that one of the features of continuous here is that it it is intended as a full fledged programming environment, whereas uh, playgrounds is clearly not. Right? Uh, do you remember Tim when when you were telling us about playgrounds and I was asking you know can you have multiple files like you know can you actually put together an application using a file system and not have to pack everything into a single file well you can um, you can use the, the the resources and source code uh, directories that are inside but you have to set those up in Xcode uh, on a Mac yes yeah yes. but you you yeah. can you can pack it I mean that's that's how they've done all the lessons and stuff that they've right. packed all the yes, stuff of in course. but you're right it doesn't right. it doesn't give you a, a, a yes. an icon on the desktop or this springboard yeah, but yeah. it's also it's you cannot just use an iPad and write a full featured application. Whereas if you have continuous and you want to write a full C sharp application, you can actually do that. Yeah, interesting. That's that's the promise of this app anyway. Yeah. Uh so you got to wonder what what does that mean though to write a C sharp application uh does it mean you have access to certainly you're not going to have access to all the the .net 
libraries. You can't just write a full, you know, Windows app. So, so what what do you get in terms of support in libraries is, is a question. It does say in this gray box, sort of in the middle there, it has native iOS libraries and .NET libraries. So, I don't know, don't know what. Yeah, it says right here. Yeah, I mean, it says that. Sure. Yeah, you have access yeah. to all of .NET standard library, F Sharp's core library, all of Xamarin's iOS bindings, and Xamarin forms. So, full meal deal. And that's not to say, like, you know, that's not the whole story, too, because uh, Swift Playgrounds has access to the, it appears anyway, the entire, um, you know, programming stack. Right. Uh, all of Coco, right? Right, right. Um, right. But you need, obviously need a little more than that to develop full applications. Yeah. But, I mean, like, real work on the iPad was the, the whole point of this from his perspective. Yeah. You know, that's what he wanted this to be. And I'll, I'll leave it to the experts who actually program in those languages to tell us, I think, whether it's enough. Hmm. But it's still a very, uh, the exact kind of software I, I want to see more of on the iPad. So it's super exciting. Yeah. And it's only $10. Well, again, yeah. 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 <laughs> Still. Okay. It does say, if you dig in, it does say it has a projects tab which has a continu- well, continuous maintains a list of open projects that you're working on. And this list is different from your open files that the code editor maintains. So it has some sense of hierarchy. So yeah, interesting. I think someone should try it out and let us know. I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yep. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week and Aaron. So if people want to get a hold of you at the cottage, how will they do that? They can do it from home. It's at Aaron Vay on Twitter. There you go. And Jaime? Also on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. And Mark? Mark R at smapsoft.com. Hey, and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. So I guess we'll say goodbye for the week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. Thank you. <laughs> Wait till you get to the end of the, the Greg hosted show. Ah, okay, I will. Twenty one more minutes. Yeah, well, bef- so you'll fun. get there. You'll get there before that. Before you get All to right. what I'm talking about, you'll you'll see what. Okay. Oh, yeah. the end scene that he does. Yeah. Oh, gave it away. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Was it a secret? I'm shocked. <laughs> but I love how he did it in Twitter. I, did I, he? I read oh, that yeah, tweet yeah. and said, "And scene." Now yeah. is. I was there. I was I was in my hotel room reading Twitter when it came up and I was like, yeah. sweet. Yeah, I was actually I was actually <laughs> work, Greg. Um, I was actually uh, on my way home in the cab and I I thought I'd check in to see how he's doing on on uh what do you call it? Thing Slack and yeah, there he was, you know, 
I sort of said, hey, what's going on? And he sort of said, oh, we're still wrapping up. So, Yeah, he said something about that. Well, that was probably on the recording, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, said, oh, Jim's checked in on us or something like that. Yeah, just seeing how you guys are doing. Because I knew you were, I figured you guys were going to start late, right? Cause, yeah, yeah. Because you could. It was a nice heavenly hour of 7 p.m. Pacific. I know, right? Eh? Yeah, yeah. That explains it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was on the Pacific time zone then, too. You were. So, how come you didn't call in then, Aaron? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) They kept me pretty busy. Like, my my evenings were busy. I would not have been able to make a seven o'clock call. (laughs) So, what wild and exciting things did you do in your evenings? What did you get Uh, to see? Not not a whole lot. We we ate out. That's basically what we did. We uh, we went out for dinner and and it was like three hours long. And then uh, we're driving around. I'm driving people back in my rental car and I'm getting lost in the on the highways, which are confusing and ill lit at night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, the first first problem is that they're not called highways out here. They're called freeways. Okay, yeah. So that's probably what confused you. I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah. They they got rid of the the highways when they got rid of the T and stuff like that. Back in the, back in the original Brexit that we were talking about before the show started. Okay. The tea. Oh, the tea. The tea as in tea you drink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking the tea, like the the mass transit in Boston. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. Nope. Nope. So you were in uh, Burbank, Aaron. I was. Yeah. The office is in Burbank. I was. My hotel is in Pasadena. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until like days before I showed up there, I was like, JPL is in Pasadena. Ooh. I gotta go see JPL. And it turns out, if you look into that, there's nothing you can see at JPL. It's just a campus, and uh, they don't allow visitors unless you know someone, of course. And even the gift shop, uh, you have to know someone and get onto campus really? wow. to visit. Yeah, they do tours, but you need about three months' notice to get onto one. Hmm. So that was out. Uh, so so kind of stay dis- somewhere just off of Colorado Boulevard there in Pasadena? I was actually quite near there, yes. Uh, I was near the um, freeway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Which one, the 210 or the... Uh, no, or the say another one. one. 121? Uh, I want to say something 121. Something like that. Yeah, that's the north-south one. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's such a beautiful area. Uh, remarkable. I was really surprised. Uh, L.A. and its environs are quite lovely. It's probably pretty hot. It's probably oh, yeah. hot there. Yeah, Pasadena yeah. gets hot. Yeah. It was 38 degrees one day. We walked out in the afternoon, and uh, yeah, that was melty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we didn't stay outside for long, and that's, that's really what it matters. Yeah. <laughs> but is it humid down there? Like it is up here? No, no, not even close. Yeah, it's quite dry. So that, that's the only thing that made it survivable. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. We get like you know, right now it's about thirty degrees. Oh, sorry, um, eighty something. I don't know, something like that in Fahrenheit, and uh, it can be very humid, right? Mm-hmm. In this area, in in southern Ontario, and that just feels terrible. But when you get to thirty eight in the desert or near it. Um, in Los Angeles, it's actually not too bad. I mean, it's hot and you're sweaty, but it's not, you can't breathe. Hmm. Well, that's good that they had you stay in Pasadena. That's a little nicer than, uh, than Burbank. Burbank's yeah. kind of, well, you know, it's not terrible, but it's well, not the most exciting place. It was entirely up to me, actually. I, they, they told me to just get a hotel room, and uh, that this was the only one I could find that was the right price. So mm-hmm. I, I really did luck out. You know, I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be so far from the office. But it turned out not to be far, and uh, it turned out to be a super nice hotel, and Pasadena is beautiful. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like I really won on that one. Oh, great. And the commute there is not terrible. No, from, from uh, Pasadena to Burbank, you kind of, no. you kind of, you know, skirting around the worst of the traffic. If you had to take the one hundred and one uh, or the one hundred and ten, you would have been miserable. 
I was noticing the uh, Google Maps, or sorry, Apple Maps in this case, uh, looking at the traffic mm-hmm. patterns, and I, I saw exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Uh, I yep. missed it all. It was wonderful. Yeah, good. Yeah. Hmm. It worked out very well. All right. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. See you later. Oh, I should probably stop. He hasn't, heard, he hasn't heard the buckethead part yet. <laughs> I, I probably guess I, could, I guess I could listen to it. But what uh, would you what do we say about buckethead? That oh, you, you were say? just talking about what, how wonderful Bud about buckethead was. And, he really is great. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and I, you know what? I I, I kind of took me a long time to get through editing because I took a break to go and explore buckethead. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and you know, I couldn't figure out why they were comparing uh, buckethead to because I stopped listening to the recording and I went and checked them out, and then and I couldn't figure out why they kept comparing him to Slash, right? Um, oh, right, right. Yeah, there's a bunch of YouTube's about you know here's Slash doing a solo and here's Buckethead doing a solo. Right. And then I went back and listened to the show because I, I I vaguely remember him replacing uh, Slash back in the day. Yeah. You know, but I don't think I really. I, I just remember this guy, this weird looking guy, right? You know, but uh, didn't put two two and two together. I have a bunch of his earlier stuff. Uh, I sort of haven't really listened to him much in past. You know. Yeah, fifteen years, I would say. Mm-hmm. But uh, so when I first started listening to him, he didn't re- he didn't have two hundred albums. He had like four or five albums. Sure. So, but so I don't know what these new ones are all about. I, I get the feeling that they're not like full full fledged, you know, albums. It's just you record a bunch of stuff and put it online or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, now that's so, so easy to do it. Yeah. Back then, yeah. it probably was harder. Fifteen, twenty years ago, right? So right, right. Right. Like back then, he would have had to have an agent and all that kind of stuff. I have a one of my clients is a professional musician, and you know she uh, she started out when they were still making albums, right? Yes, like, like yep. vinyl albums, and then she went through the whole you know Napster thing, and now she's you know the iTunes thing, and and she, her last album was actually a, a double double fold album that she put out, right? Because now we're back to vinyl again, right? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so uh, some people are back to vinyl. I, yeah, I don't do that. Do oh my, my son! I don't. My I basically like back in the late nineties when I was moving down, moving to Toronto. Uh, we got rid of all our vinyl because Carol didn't want to move it, and so my grabbed my my son grabbed it, and so he's got it at his house. And so all my vinyl albums that I you know cherished through the years lived in his garage for like you know uh, four year or four or five years, and got all you know wet and moldy and whatever. So. Yeah. You know, so but he's still got he's got all my old like he kept all the Zappa stuff and you know all the Pink Floyd stuff and stuff like that, right? So mm-hmm. I kept my Wish You Were Here album though. I still have why it. that one? That's my, one of my favorite uh, Pink Floyd albums. I've had this it's oh. the album I bought in 1974, like the with the black sil- black um, cellophane on it. You know the like it was originally a black, uh, just all in black. Like and so you know they clear cellophane mm-hmm. back in the day. They they made it all black so you couldn't see what was inside. Oh, okay. Yeah. And just had a sticker on the front. And, you know, so uh, I remember buying it and saying to my friend, well, what if I hate it? What happens if I hate it? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you won't hate it. Buy the album. Yeah, Yeah, they were still sort of a, well, not completely untested. Certainly not completely untested because they had. Well, no, they had Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, yeah. 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 And Dark Yeah, but uh, it had only been out for two or three years at that point, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a fabulous album. I can listen to it any time of the day or night. I like Animals, actually. Animals was my favorite Pink Floyd album, for sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Metal, metal is another one, too. But, yeah. I, I Well, that, the, the group I told you about that I go see called Classic Albums Live, they just did Animals. Um, it was mm-hmm. amazing. And then they did... Uh, so, they did Animals, and then the the uh, they always do, like, the album, and then they ca- they go away for 15 minutes or so, and they come back, and they do, like, a superset. And they did all this really obscure Pink Floyd stuff. Mm. Right, so they did. They did some early Sid Barrett stuff, and yeah, just stuff that you don't normally hear uh, anybody play. 
like the Astronomy Domine stuff, or like yeah, uh, even more even even more out Arnold there. Lane. More yeah, they played Arnold Lane, and yeah, yeah. Um, but but they were saying that because Pink Floyd actually did play at Massey Hall back in the day, right? Like mm-hmm. when they first came around. Let me just see if I can find it on my set list. I have to say, of all the Pink Floyd albums, uh, the Wall actually holds up not so great. Yeah, I'm not a big huge fan of that. I mean, the, back in the day, I loved it, but these yeah. days, it's yeah. We play comfortably. We play comfortably known because one of our guitarists can play the solos. So oh, okay, yeah. So we make him play that every week when we play. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even though half of the half of the guys in my band don't like Pink Floyd, right? So what? Yeah, I know, eh? Classic albums live, April fifteenth. This might be the one. Yeah, here's what they played. Um, so they did the album. Then they did Astronomy, Donomy, Arnold Lane, Learning to Fly, Welcome to the Machine, On the Turning Away, and Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun. That was the one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, then they they then they always do if they can they always do great gig in the sky because we have some f- phenomenal female singers here that can do the whole thing, mm-hmm. and then they and then they close with comfortably numb. In fact, what they said was for the encore they said Here, this part of the show we would normally go off for five minutes and for the, but we're just we're just rather than doing that we're going to just play right through and give you two really cool songs right so mm, nice yeah so we'd have to stand there like idiots clapping our hands off <laughs> so nothing from the uh, the studio albums of Amagama. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, it's true. Yeah, it's strange animals, sound, strange sounds. Yeah, several species cave. of small furry animals yeah. moving in a cave with a pit or something, yeah, something yeah. like that. Or careful yeah. with that axe, Eugene. Yeah, that's that's a good one. That's yeah, a good song. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you have to really know it. Yep. Yeah. And then I saw them do, uh, they did uh, David Bowie as well. Um, they did uh, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. Mm, Spiders. That'd be good to see. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, good. And then um, last year they did Wish You Were Here. The whole album, and then they came to the superset. They're actually so the Beatles played at Maple, Maple Leaf Gardens, is where our Toronto Maple Leafs used to play for forever until they opened the ACC, I think, in 1999. I think, right? So you can still play hockey there. But so their classic albums live is redoing the concert that the Beatles did 50 years ago, right? Mm. They, do, they do the Beatles really well, these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, yeah. Next. Oh, yeah. The, the early Beatles stuff was. Relatively simple to do live. Well, you know what? It's funny. So I saw them do. I saw them do Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band at Roy Thompson mm-hmm. Hall, which is what, which is our big classical um, uh, place to play. Right, it's where our symphony symphony plays. Right, and so they did that album. Then they came out and did a super set. And then for the encore, they came out and they played two songs. They played "I Want to Hold Your Hand" and "She Loves You." Right, mm-hmm. and you know you've hear, you've hear, heard those on the radio, and you probably you may have seen bands cover them before, but to see those two songs played live, like you know, in perfect form, mm-hmm. they're amazingly good songs. Sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> After all these years, you know, you can see why the Beatles kind of went as far as they did, right? So, and as quickly as they did, right? So, yeah, it was amazing to see those two songs played live, and you know, like they brought Rickenbacker guitars out. They didn't. They didn't. They played them on the original kind of instruments and stuff, right? So yeah, yeah it was really cool. So the weekend I'm in Boston, Paul McCartney is playing at Fenway Park. Yeah. Ooh, I, cool. I, I don't have tickets, of course, but uh, I have to try to... Doesn't he charge it. like like two $300 a seat now? I'm sure he does, especially at Fenway Park. It's a tiny place. It's baseball. Yeah. It's where the Red Sox play. Oh, right. Oh, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny old baseball stadium. Great place. Wow, uh, yeah. Never seen a concert there, though. Yeah, I have a he, he, I have a DVD by him. I don't know where it was. Oh, Shea Stadium was it Shea Stadium where the Beatles played back in the day. Is that that's on the yeah, West Coast, right? That's right. No, so no, he, Shea Stadium's in New York. Oh, because because and is that the one they just they reopened a new stadium recently? Like maybe three years ago, four years ago. Uh, are you thinking of the one out here, Candlestick Park? Maybe I don't know, but he played. So so I so was that, there was a famous Beatles show at Shea Stadium that was 
that was, was that the last show they played or whatever? No, that was the Candlestick Park one in San okay. Francisco, yeah. which is the stadium they just closed where the the 49ers played, and it used to be the San Francisco Giants played there until they built a new stadium. Well, they built a new baseball stadium yeah. five or six years ago. They built a new football stadium for the 49ers uh, just last year. Mm-hmm. So Candlestick, they tore down. So, but So Paul McCartney came back and played the last show at Candlestick Park before mm. they tore it down. And oh like said, right! And yeah, like that, I said, it, it was also the last show the Beatles ever played. Live. Right. So that that was the recording that I have. That must be the yeah. one. Yeah. But I'm still I'm I'm recording today on Carol's computer because even though I had mine fixed up, I'm still not 100 percent you know confident in the the Mac. Yeah. So I took the app, the Mac, into the Apple Store since it was like you know my my warranty ended on July 1st, right? Um. So I contacted Apple and I I, mean, I keep meaning to contact them for like the last couple of months. I knew I was coming to the end of the line here, but I didn't realize it was like that close. And so the only appointment they had for me was on June 30th, right? Um. And they said that whatever the problem is, because I described the problem while it was still under warranty, if I if anything else happens, because I, I said to them like I keep getting beach balling, you know, the sound keeps cutting out and all that kind of stuff. So apparently the MacBook Air has a separate audio card on the on the side where the headphone jack plugs in. So they replaced that board and the cable under warranty right even though they found nothing wrong with the drive and nothing wrong with the the logic board and you know whatever but they just run these software tests on them right yeah so that doesn't tell you very much doesn't tell you if there's like solder or whatever right yeah how old is it it's a 2013 so i oh you had bought apple pay I mean, I just, oh yeah uh, yeah oh yeah i yeah I, i learned a long time ago when you buy laptops buy apple care because really yeah you know i i had a i bought a I found uh, sorry. I got a, a G3 um, Wall Street back in the day, right? And I got it. Somebody must have bought it in, in an auction lot and, and came to me. Nobody had ever registered it, and it, it had a funky um, video card. Like there was a there was a recall on the video cable in those in that particular model, right? Um, where it would it would the video would get all get all broken up on the screen, and you had, if you just kind of squeeze the case around, you know, with your thumb, you could just kind of get it to go back in the line. So there was something wrong with the cable, right? And it was a known issue. And I, because I bought the Mac and I just blindly went and registered it, I got it replaced under Apple Care, like because within the first year, right? And that was kind of sort of when I, when I thought, hmm, these things like laptops aren't, you know, because there are so many moving parts in them and you, you tend yeah. to throw them in your bag and whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And that particular model had a problem where... It's just it would just wouldn't charge the battery like, you know, and if you, you could go buy a new battery, it didn't matter what you did. It just wouldn't charge the battery. And so um, and that was about the time that eBay started coming up. And finally, I went on eBay and I bought the, the charging board and I dug into the Mac and I replaced the charging board. And then it was like beautiful from that point on. Like it, to this day, I still have it. and It'll, it'll still nice. charge the battery and all that kind of stuff. Right. And from that point on, I kind of thought, you know, um, and as a reseller, I can tell you the most margin they make is on Apple Care, But. Every every Mac that I've ever had a problem with, I've been able to take it in. Like my phones, I've had my had my five uh, S replaced once. I had my iPad Pro replaced because the magnets were put in backwards. You know, so I've I've been able to take advantage of Apple Pay on a number of occasions. Yeah. Actually, when I got my first thirteen MacBook thirteen, there was a known issue when you first started it up. The video was all broken up. Um, so, you know, I, I was pissed because I just bought it and I, I literally called up Apple, like, you know, within five minutes of turning the thing on going, what the hell? And the guy sort of said, yeah, yeah, it's a known issue. Just shut it down, close the lid, open it back up again. And, and it was fine. It only did that a couple of times afterwards over the years. Right. But, uh, yeah, so that's when I learned my lesson. And then of course, with Bendgate on my iPhone six plus, yeah, I made yeah. sure I got <laughs> Apple care on it. Right. So speaking of Bendgate on my, my iPhone six, yeah, which is now 
you know, almost two years old. Yeah, two years old, and and my contract ends in September, and yeah. seven will come out. So, so I'll probably just do nothing about it and <laughs> yeah. deal with it for two months. Uh, but my phone, just in the past week or so, has been showing this weird behavior where the screen uh, in the four corners, the screen is is sitting in place normally. Yeah. But but if you go as you go from the you know the, the bottom of the top. Yeah. Uh, vertically. Yeah. The middle, at, right at the middle, the screen is popping out of the of the of the phone. Oh, really? And, and it's bowed up like you know two millimeters. Like uh, as if as if the metal's bent or whatever. Well, so I've been testing it. So I can put the if I put the put it down flat on a table on yeah. the, on the back. Yeah. The the metal is fine. It's not bent, but the the screen itself is is for sure. I mean, visibly oh. bowed. You know what? That could be. That could, there's a, there's an issue with um, some cell phones where the the battery puffs out, right? I've heard. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, it, yeah. that might be it. Yeah, a lot of lots, we have a, lot, a couple of Android phones at the office that are like that, where they're where the screen's popping up because the battery is pushing out, right? And I've seen yeah. there was an issue with I think the G4 MacBooks had uh, had an issue where the where the batteries would distort. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm. So, so yeah, like I said, on you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I said, since it's only two months away, I'll probably just do nothing. But because I'm certainly not going to spend any money on this thing, at this yeah. Point, but but I'm just kind of dreading that, uh, and and cut my fingers crossed that it doesn't just completely die and fall apart in the next week or so. So I'll have to go for a month and a half with you know duct tape my screen on. Wow. <laughs> yeah, my my phone, my phone has barely been out of its case since I got it, and uh, and I put a put one of those scratch screens on it, like a you know anti glare yeah. screen. I still have the one I put on on day one on here, right? So See, maybe that's an, I don't use a case. Maybe that's an argument for using a case. It, it'll keep it it'll keep it pinched in at least. Yeah, maybe maybe. Well, I mean, so I, I for the longest time I had mine in in a big uh, OtterBox case because right. I was walking the dog every day. But now that I've gone back to the Apple leather case that i got when i first got the phone because i, I don't mm-hmm. walk the dog as much anymore right so mm-hmm. and it's been fine so yeah i don't know it's, it's, it's i can, it's still I can press big. on the screen and it and it makes it makes kind of a noise here can you hear this yeah 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 oh and man it, and that's it flexes it flexes a good millimeter or two oh yeah. yeah i'm looking at mine wondering if it's doing something but there's no way it's making a noise like that mm. yeah well, maybe give it time <laughs> Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. WarbyParker.com slash covered. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.